<laughs> Good morning and welcome to worship. Our God is uh, filled with grace. He gives us grace and mercy. And uh, so let's sing about that this morning. This is amazing grace. Will you stand with us and let's sing together. Here we go. This is unfailing love. 
welcome to First Baptist Church. We're excited to be here this morning to worship. If you're joining us online, we just want to say welcome to you this morning. Um, if you're a guest with us this morning, we just want to especially welcome you. We'll ask one simple thing of you this morning. You'll see there in that pew rack in front of you is this little white guest registration card. And if you'll take just a moment to fill that out for us. And at the conclusion of the service, as you're exiting, you can head down to your left there to the, the welcome desk. And you can drop that in the little box there. Or our, our lead pastor, Dr. Cox, will be there uh, to, to take that from you. And he'd love the chance to meet you. And he's got a small gift for all first-time guests. And so we're excited to have you with us here to worship this morning. I'm going to pray for us in just a moment, but just wanted to, to just ask God's leadership over this time this morning as Dr. Cox, he continues in his series over the life of Abraham. God asks, how will we respond? So we come here with expectation to be changed, to be transformed into Christ's likeness. So let's pray this morning and just invite God to just uh, be in charge of this morning. Lord God, we just come this morning and we thank you for the example, the life of Abraham, and we just um, seek your guidance in the way to live our lives. And so, Lord, you act, and how will we respond? That's what we've been talking about over the last few weeks, and we just pray, God, that you help us to respond faithfully. I want to lift up Dr. Cox to you this morning. I pray uh, for him as he uh, brings your message and as he, he teaches us and, and challenges us to live according to your word. So, Lord, I pray that we're faithful, that our hearts are open, that our minds are receptive to what your word has to teach us. That, God, we can be guided and directed by your Holy Spirit living in our lives. And we're glad to be here to worship you this morning. You alone, God, are worthy. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with us? Let's sing together. If God is for us, who can be against us? Angel armies are for us. Whom shall we fear? Stands behind 
you, give you honor and glory, you and you alone. Here, here I am to worship. Just sing it with us.
Uh, a, a, ex, extra special honor for me today, and this is that is that I get to sing with my sisters. Um, my whole family was is musical. Uh, my dad was musical, and and the, all three of us got that from him. And um, so we used to sing a lot as kids. Um, I remember driving along in the in the car on Sunday mornings, you know, or, or anytime, singing parts. But I especially remember Sunday morning. Uh, by the way, I'm the baby. I'm the baby of the family. Really, I am. And, and uh, there was a time when I was actually smaller than they were, and, uh, but not anymore. <laughs> so anyway, uh, no, no. Um, but I got to tell a story. I remember, uh, I remember going to church on Sunday morning, and Sherry would have one perfume on, and Renee would have a perfume on, and, and Mom would have another perfume on. And in the car, I'm sitting in the middle, and there was this swirl of smells and I'm like, oh, boy, I'm getting car sick. And anyway, uh, did any, anybody ever experience that? Were you in the car with a bunch of different perfumes and you got like this? Okay, maybe it was just me. You, you, you have those weird memories of things, you know? Like I remember my first preacher, and all I remember was his shoes. That's weird. Isn't that weird? He wore wingtips. And I don't remember what his face looks like, but I was little, so that was what I saw, his shoes. Anywho, that's more than you wanted to know. Comedy Hour with Todd. Um, uh, I love the pastor's talking about this morning about um, that um, God hears and knows. He knows and hears what we go through. And so um, I thought this song would be appropriate for this morning. And so here we go. One, two, three, four. 
Thank you so much for today. Thank you for another opportunity to come into your house and worship you. We're so thankful that you know our name, that you love us, and you know everything about us. You know every hair of our heads, and yet you love us, and you, and you, you, you accept us. That amazes us, Lord. You are the good Father. Oh, Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers this morning. May you be glorified in all we do. I pray for Dr. Cox as he comes and brings your method, a message. Open our hearts that we may hear from you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you today. Thank you, uh, Sherry and Renee, for being here and singing with Todd. And uh, He told stories on you. We'd be uh, interested to hear any stories you have about him after the service that you want to tell. We'd be happy to... To hear that, how many of you were surprised to hear that Todd's the baby of the family? Any of uh, you <laughs> surprised by that? It's, we're glad. We, <laughs> I'm kidding. We love you guys and are glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Hey, I want to look ahead to Wednesday night for just a moment. I'm starting a new class entitled Prayer and Bible Study, an eight-week class. We'll spend four weeks on how to talk to God in prayer. 
four weeks on how to listen to God by understanding and applying the Bible to our lives. Uh, if you want to be a part of that, I would welcome you to join us. begins this Wednesday, 6.30. Come to the Welcome Center. Someone will help you get to room C200. Uh, join us for eight weeks on Wednesday night. I'm sharing a series of sermons on the life of Abraham. And uh, the theme of this series of sermons is the activity of God. God acts. How will we respond? And we're looking at how God acted in Abraham's life, and so we'll look for those same kinds of activity in our own life. And you might be thinking, well, yeah, I know God spoke to Abraham. And I know God directed Abraham. Because he was the center of God's plan for the world. Sure, he's going to talk with him, but God doesn't talk to me. God doesn't interact in my life. I'm a nobody. Well, today I want to share with you a story of a nobody, of a slave girl named Hagar, who's a minor character in the story. So now we're going to look at a minor character today. You know, sort of like in your favorite uh, TV show, they'll do one episode on a minor character. Well, here's a minor character named Hagar, and we're going to see that God acts in her life as well. So we begin, if you have your Bibles, in Genesis chapter 16, verse 1, or you can follow along on the screen. And it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. So that's a central focus of this story because when they got to the land, ten years previous, Abraham was 75 years old, Sarai was 65 years old, God had promised them he'd make them a great nation, have many descendants. He'd repeated that promise throughout this time. Look out at the stars. You see the stars, Abram? Your descendants will be like the stars of the sky. But now 10 years have passed. So now Abram is 85 and Sarai is 75. The clock is ticking. And uh, they first thought that, well, maybe, maybe... Abram's slave, Eleazar, is going to be the one who carries on the family name. And God had said, no, Abram, from your own body will come this descendant. So now, Sarah thinks, okay, well, maybe then just Abram is going to father a child, but I'm not going to be involved because I can't have children. And so it says in Genesis 16, 1, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And so she said to, to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. You go take my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And so she offers her slave as a second wife to Abram. And Abram agreed to what she said. And verse 3 says, so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, gave her to her husband to be his second wife. And she became pregnant, and it says in verse 4, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. She disdained. She looked down upon uh, Sarai because, I can have children, you can't have children. And it says in verse 5, then Sarai said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Well, there's some tension in this marriage now, isn't there? And this tension has caused because the situation is bad. 
So when circumstances get bad, it's going to pull apart your marriage. It's going to cause tension there. And on top of that, they've compromised. Sarai has become impatient, waiting on God's will. Sarai has wanted to help God out a little bit. You ever try to help God out in his plan and do the wrong thing and compromise? That's what she's done. And so now there's tension, and they're blaming one another. It so often happens. This is your fault. Verse 6, Abram said, your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. Now, everybody is acting less than God wants in this story. Sarai does not have faith. Hagar has become spiteful and proud. And Abram has become passive. And uh, he's taken this second wife. And even though that's not God's plan, now he just lets Sarai do as she will. Do with her whatever you think best. So Sarai mistreated Hagar and she fled from him. So now she is a runaway. Every year in the United States, 1.6 million teenagers run away from home. Isn't that amazing? 1.6 million. 44% of the girls who run away are pregnant, like Hagar was. 79% of those who run away have been abused or mistreated as Hagar had been. And so she's a runaway. And she goes south. She's an Egyptian. And it says she heads to the desert of Shur. That's south. She's trying to get home, trying to go home to where she came from. And for the first time, God enters our story. And it says in verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring is beside the road to Shur. Now, this phrase, the angel of the Lord, is found about 50 times in the Bible. We're going to see it several times in the story of Abram. And I believe that this is not just an angel. When the Bible speaks of an angel, that is a created being that God has created, there is an order of spiritual beings called angels. It says that an angel or the angel. But when it says the angel of the Lord, it seems to be more than an angel. This seems to be an angel. The word angel means messenger. This seems to be a representation of God himself. You can follow it through these stories and see if you don't think that's true. We're going to see it even here because it'll say the angel of the Lord. And then in a few minutes it'll be say God said or God did. It's used interchangeably with God. So I believe that when it says the angel of the Lord, it's not a created angel. This is a representation, a manifestation of God himself. I think it's the second person of the Trinity. I think it's the pre-incarnate Jesus. Now, Jesus only came to earth one time, definitively, when he became a human being at Christmas. We know there's only one incarnation, but I believe Jesus visited our planet before that in the appearance of a person. I think when, uh, when King Nebuchadnezzar saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and a fourth one walking in the furnace, there was Jesus with them. I think this is Jesus. He's not a human, but he appears in that form uh, through these stories. So you can, you can follow that and see what you think. But at any rate, the angel of the Lord said to her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. So God speaks to Hagar, this runaway. 
lost in the desert. And he says to her, go back. And God often tells us when we run away from problems to go back to them. Even though it's hard, not always. Sometimes you have to get out of a situation that's abusive. But I'm saying to you, if you're running from something, sometimes God's will for you is to go back, even to a tough situation. He said that to Jonah. He says it to Hagar. Go back. My purpose for you is in a hard place. It is in a difficult situation. And I can work through hard, difficult situations. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. Hagar. And then the angel, or God, made a promise. Verse 10, the angel added, I'll increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. So the same type of promise that he's made to Abram, he now makes to Hagar. And he continues, verse 11, the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son and you shall name him Ishmael. So you remember the name of God, or the generic word for God is El. And often when you see a name in the Bible that ends in El, it's reflecting something about the character of God, Daniel, Samuel. You know, you see that often. Well, here Ishmael means God, El, hears. God hears, Ishmael. And so it says, you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He'll be a wild donkey of a man. That's probably not what she wanted to hear about her unborn child. He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. Everyone's hand will be against him. And he'll live in hostility toward all his brothers. This son will be rugged and independent like a wild donkey, and he will be involved in hostility. And in verse 13, it says, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. So here we have another name of God. Uh, Hagar gives a new title to the God who spoke to her. It is El-Roi, which means God sees me. God sees me. Verse 13, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. See, Hagar sees this angel of the Lord as being God himself. And you see me. So what we learn about the character and activity of God is that God sees. God sees you. God sees runaways. God sees abused people and people who feel forgotten or neglected and people who are alone. The idea that God sees you can be sort of a disturbing idea. Oh, God sees my sin. He sees all of my mistakes. But here it's not intended as that way. It is also a comforting truth because it means that when you feel forgotten, when you feel that you have been misunderstood at work or by your family, it feels that when you feel like you have not gotten a fair shake, as Hagar did not, it means that when you feel like a little person, there is a big God who says he sees you. And Hagar takes comfort in the fact that in her distress, there's a real God who sees. He is, as Hagar said, El Roi. He's the God who sees me. And I would have you to see that in your situation and you feel alone and forgotten and you're the only one, there's a God who sees you. 
And so she named that place. This is why the well was called, verse 14, Be'ir Lahai Ro'i. It is still there between Kadesh and Barad. So she named that place the well of the God who sees me. So Hagar did what the angel of the Lord said. She turned around. She went back home. It says in verse 15, So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Now, there is a sequel to this story in chapter 21. And so we're going to, if you'll, we're going to jump in the DeLorean and go about 16 or 17 years into the future, okay? Uh, uh, Abram is 86. We're going to go to when he's about 102 or 103, okay? Ishmael born when Hagar I mean, when Abram was 86, so now Ishmael is going to be about 16 or 17 years old, okay, in our sequel to this story. Now, there's a spoiler alert here. If you don't know the story of what happens or you want to take it as it comes, then you need to put your fingers in your ear for a minute because I'm going to tell you the spoiler here, okay? Here we go. Abraham and Sarah have a child of their own when he's a hundred and when she's 90. (laughs) And so our story is going to take place about two or three years after that when their child is weaned and they have a party. That's their culture. So he's two, maybe three. So now Abraham is 102, 103. Ishmael is 16 or 17. Got the setting. Okay, here we go. So chapter 21, verse 8. Chapter 21, verse 8. The child, you know who that child is, grew and was weaned. And on that day Isaac was weaned. Abram held a great feast. But Sarah said that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. So the 16-year-old is making fun of the 2- or 3-year-old at his party. You got it? And she's upset about that. And so she said to Abram, verse 10, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Verse 11, The matter distressed Abraham greatly. See, I get to call them Abraham and Sarah now because their names have been changed. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, It's okay. Because Sarah, even though she was... Again, not acting rightly, she was correct. This son would not, Ishmael would not share in the inheritance. So God says, I can take care of it. Verse 12, don't be distressed about the boy and about your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And I'll make the son of the slave into a nation also because he's your offspring. So early the next morning, verse 14, Abraham took some food. And a skin of water, so a skin, I've never had a skin of water, but what I've read, maybe hold three gallon of water, 24 pound of water on her back, some food on her back, and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and sent her off with the boy. And she went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. 
So now, she's not a runaway, she's a refugee. She's displaced from her home, and she and Ishmael have nowhere to go. They're refugees. Most of us have never been refugees. Uh, most of us have never been displaced from our home because we're blessed to live in a society that has largely been very stable and is not threatened by violence or war that we have to leave our homes. Some of you may have been refugees from weather events. There are people right now who are leaving southern Louisiana. They're displaced by an incoming storm. Chances are hopefully they'll get to return to their homes, but there have been some people in America who are displaced permanently, who are refugees. But the UN tells us that there are 26 million refugees in our world. That is, people, because of war or violence, have had to leave their homes and won't get to go back. 68% of those refugees come from five countries, Syria, Afghanistan, Somalia, Sudan, and Myanmar. Countries that have been wrecked by internal civil war, warring tribes, or, or violence. And they've, they've had to flee like Hagar. They've had to get away from a situation, and they're not going back. The largest refugee camp in the world, they tell us, is in Bangladesh. It is the people of Myanmar. Most of us know little about that country that used to be called Burma who the Rohingya who have fled across the border, they've had to leave their home and crossing the border to the safety of another country. And uh, there are 700,000 people in the refugee camp called Cox's Bazaar, like my last name, Cox's Bazaar in Bangladesh. I'll show you a couple of pictures of Cox's Bazaar. Um, of 700,000 people under temporary shelters of tarps or corrugated metal. Uh, next one, I think, is maybe an aerial shot of uh, the population density is 60,000 um, per square mile. I'm calculating that's about the population density at Bonnaroo next week, maybe. Probably similar. But those folks are only going to be there three or four days. These people are in that same kind of population density for an unknown future. Uh, why am I telling you this? Christians need to care about refugees. We may not agree with the politics that got them there, but we need to care about refugees. When I was at a church in Cleveland, we sponsored a family of refugees from the Ukraine. At that time, the Soviet Union uh, was persecuting Christians in Ukraine. And so a family called the Skobieks got the paperwork to come to America if they had a sponsor. So our church sponsored them, husband, a wife, three teenagers, picked them up from the airport, brought them to the home of one of our church members for the first night, just as temporary place to stay. And I'll never forget, we got in that living room, the rest of us were about to leave, and they said, could we sing? They said, we can never sing. If we sing out loud, we are in danger of being arrested, our homes broken into. The first thing they wanted to do on American soil was to sing. We held hands in their living room, they sang to the top of their lungs. 
I'm saying to you there are forgotten peoples in the world. There are displaced peoples. There are many refugees. And while we are very grateful for what God has given us, we must care about them. There are people like Hagar. Why should we care about them? Because God does. Let me read you the rest of the story. Verse 15, when the water in the skin was gone. So Hagar gets lost. The desert is a, can be a, a terrible place when you're wandering, and she knows they're going to die. She doesn't know where we, there's no water. So it says in verse 15, she put the boy under one of the bushes, and then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And she sat there, and she began to sob. So she knows they're going to die. She can't bear to see her son die. So she puts him under a bush. She goes off under another bush, and she cries. And here's the next verse, verse 17. God heard the boy crying. God hears. Now, it said that she was crying. Why does it say it heard the boy crying? Well, I think probably they were both crying. And the reason it says they heard the boy crying, because what's his name? Ishmael. What does Ishmael mean? God hears. And she heard the boy crying. And the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? Remember, God never asks questions for information. God knows all the information. God asks questions repeatedly of Hagar and maybe of you to clarify to you the situation that you're in. What's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. And so now is implied a second name for God. Implied is the name El Ishmael which means God hears. El Roi is God sees. El Ishmael is God hears. And he heard Ishmael because he is El Ishmael. He hears. And so God hears the sobs of refugees. We care about people who are displaced and are hurting because God does. And he hears. And if God hears refugees, he hears you. And it occurs to me that there may have been somebody here who has sobbed at night this past week. I don't know that, but I just know how life is. And in this many people, there's probably somebody who one night this week has been crying. And I want to say to you that the name of the living God is El Ishmael, the God who hears he hears forgotten people. He hears refugees and runaways. He hears people who are misunderstood and feel mistreated and who feel unloved. He's El Ishmael. He hears not just Abraham. Okay, yeah, we get that. He's the big guy. He's central to the whole Bible story. But here's a side story. Sarah is right. This is not part of God's central plan. She's just a minor character. The story can, of redemption can go on without these two. And yet God specifically speaks to them and say, I have heard your cries. Do not be afraid. 
It says in verse 18, God said, lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And then verse 19, God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. Maybe it had been there all along, but it was uh, hidden. Maybe God revealed it, whatever. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink and they survived. And it says in verse 20, God was with the boy as he grew up and he lived in the desert, became an archer. And while he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother gave, uh, got a wife for him from Egypt. And later in the Genesis stories, it will tell us that Ishmael went on to father 12 sons who became 12 tribes, just as God had predicted. And uh, the Ishmaelites appear throughout the Bible as a nation of people. And today, Arab Muslims trace their descent from Ishmael. I do not know if they're correct, but that's what they believe. They believe Ishmael uh, founded Mecca, their holy city, and that Muhammad descended from Ishmael. That is their belief. I'm saying to you, God heard and saw these people who are not central to his plan. He hears runaways and refugees and forgotten people. He is El Roi, the God who sees. He is El Isha Ishmael, the God who hears. So, God's revealed himself. He hears you. He sees you. Now, what will be your response to his activity? He said to Hagar, don't be afraid. In the situations that you're in, God calls you not to live in fear, but to trust him. He, tell, he calls you that his very presence and his activity in your life can dispel your fear. Will you live in trust of him? I want to read to you a poem that Joseph Bailey wrote. It speaks of some of these truths. Thank you, God, that you see armies march and a sparrow fall. You hear bombs blast and a baby's cry. You smell volcanoes flow and a man's sweat. You feel the contour of mountains and a little lump. You taste ocean salt and my tears. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for anyone here today who feels somewhat like Hagar, who feels forgotten, mistreated, neglected, abused, a person who feels like you don't care. And I pray they will see through your perfect word, your revelation of yourself as the God who sees little people and who hears the sobs of even those who have been outcasts, even of refugees. And I pray for us today that wherever we are in life, that we will respond to your activity, not in fear, but that we will respond in faith and we will trust you and we will hold your promises and we will live life fully serving you. This is my prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation. If you want to come today and pray about anything in your life, you come to me. I'll get somebody to pray with you or you can come pray on your own. During this time of we're singing this song, you can walk forward while we're singing to join our church, to commit your life to Jesus Christ, to come into a relationship with a God who will see and hear you, a covenant with him. You can be baptized as a sign of that covenant in coming weeks.
Today you can respond. God speaks to you. Would you come? Let's stand together, please. Let's sing together.
Amen. You can have a seat. It's great to worship today and be here and sing songs and hear God's word. Another act of worship you have is to uh, give your tithes and offerings and the boxes there on your way out if you don't mind doing that. Another act of worship. Well, it's a big week. It's Jesus Tent Bonnaroo happening in September. Uh, this is a this is my first time, so I get to experience all the crazy. I'm excited about it. I was told I need to go ahead and get gas and groceries. Uh, yeah, yeah, don't go to Walmart this weekend. Like, now, yeah. So, yeah. Here I here I go. But uh, we've got some great things happening with <laughs> Jesus Tent, and uh, and we need to um, we need to be in prayer for that. There's going to be great opportunities to to minister to folks. Uh, we've got teams coming in with that. And Jake's been leading a, a, a group to, to spearhead all this stuff. But we uh, have 16 coming from Cumberland Baptist Association in Clarksville, a team of four coming from the bridge at Miami University in Ohio. Our own Cade Pittman and Christian Leet are going to be uh, TBMB interns this week, so they're doing a lot of work. And there's a total of 147 volunteers for the Jesus Tent. So before we go today, I want to be sure that we pray for all these volunteers. And so if you're a volunteer here this morning, we're asking you just to stand and let us see you, and, and we're going to be praying for you. All right, great, great. So we're not going to move towards them or anything. We're going to keep our socially distanced, all that stuff. But we want to be praying for all these volunteers as they do their work uh, this week at Jesus Tent. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you are a God that, that sees and hears. And, and I pray that uh, this week as these volunteers go to serve and just do simple things like providing uh, snacks and, and drinks and 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 uh, shade uh, as as people gather and, and mill about and uh, at the Jesus tent, God, I pray that you would just be with everyone there to help meet needs. I pray that that you would help us be uh, your eyes and ears so that we can see needs and we can just listen to the hurts that might be brought uh, that would be open to that and that everyone would would have an opportunity to just share your love. And they have a positive experience with, with the gospel through through the body of believers and the volunteers that are serving God. So just do your work among us. I thank you for this opportunity that we get to share your love. I pray for just safety and, and, and all the things that go with with this many people coming into town and, and the experience out there that, that it would be a good, safe experience for everyone, God. We love you and thank you for so much, all that you do all the blessings you give us for Jesus and his love for us. Help us to just live that out as we serve and honor you in everything we do. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. One, two, ready. Oh.